if I ran. If I ran away, you call me back to you. If I were to deny you, you would still be true. You are the strength of my failing heart. So I will and worship before you, Lord. God, it is this grace that you've given us that makes us want to praise you and rejoice in what you've done for us, Lord. And we don't just rejoice in the good stuff. We rejoice in the tribulation too. And God, just what a blessing to be in your word tonight and, and just how it grows us each time that we give it that our full attention, Lord, that each time that we dig in and each time that you just feed us from your hand, God, I thank you so much for your faithfulness. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. We'll take a minute and let the little guys out of here.
in your hands. in the heavens.
rough stuff that gets us close to you. It is the tribulation that brings us so close to you. It is the suffering that brings us close to you. It is the hardship. We all want this victory, and we want these mountaintop experiences. I know I want it too, but God, when we are crawling, that is when we are closest to you. You are so faithful to your children. We love you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the glorious times we rejoice for the hope of the glory of God, but also, too, we rejoice in the tribulation because we know what the tribulation does to us. It changes us. It makes us enduring, and it makes us more like Jesus. We love you in your precious name. Amen. All right. Your coffee. Fine, yeah. I think you're gonna want that. Yeah. Don't want to fall asleep, preacher. Hey guys, how's everybody doing? All right. All right. So we have First uh, Samuel chapter 11 tonight, and uh, let's just look, do a little review. 6,000 years ago, about 4,000 B.C., God created the heavens, the earth, and everything it contains, <laughs> including uh, two people, Adam and Eve. They sinned. They got thrown out of the Garden of Eden. Uh, the sin uh, was transferred to all their children and descendants. Over 1,600 years, uh, the people got to such 
point of wickedness that every thought of their hearts was evil continually, except for Noah and his three sons and their, and their wives, Noah's wife, the eight people, God pulls, the, directs Noah to build this ark, saves them. Uh, they get off of the ark. God tells them to go separate, fill the earth, and they don't go separate. They don't go fill the earth. They stay together. They decide over a couple hundred, just a couple hundred years, they decide that uh, they don't need God to get to heaven. They're going to make their own way to heaven. They're going to build a tower to heaven. <clears throat> they didn't understand, like we know today, that you can't get there by building a physical tower. So they building this giant tower to make their own way to heaven. Although that still idea still exists today, right? To make your own way to heaven, to uh, not by making a tower, but by doing whatever it is. And uh, so God says, you know, this is ridiculous. And that's when he, they were all speaking the same language. So God just gives everybody a different language, not everybody, but groups, all these different languages. And that, and then God separates them, whether he, transported them or whether the groups you know the guy's speaking French all these people are speaking gibberish all of a sudden and he finds someone else speaking French and he's like hey we can talk you know we we whatever <laughs> and so they they go off to wherever right and uh, and the same so all these groups because they can communicate are bonded together and it separates them and it shuts that down <clears throat> a couple hundred years go by or a hundred and so years God raises up Abraham and says wants to build a people for himself out of Abraham. He's got a piece of real estate uh, that he wants to give him. And Abraham leaves his home and follows uh, the Lord. Abraham has a son, Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob. Jacob's name is changed by God to Israel. Israel has 12 sons. Those are the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, they end up in Egypt. Uh, God takes them down there. And then they ended up being enslaved to the Egyptians for 400 years. During that time, they multiply to in the millions. God raises up Moses to lead these people out of the slavery, to lead them to this new piece of real estate that God had selected for them, the land that God had promised to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob for hundreds of years before that. Uh, then God chose Joshua to succeed Moses when he died, and God led the people through Joshua into the promised land. However, upon the death of Joshua, God did not appoint a leader after him to guide the whole nation. And Israel entered into this time of history that's referred to as the time of Judges. <clears throat> if I have a quote here, during this period of the Judges, lasting some 400 and 340 years, there was no standing office or national leadership. Israel had no king, no president, and no prime minister on earth, only God in heaven. Yet at the necessary and appropriate times, God brought forth a leader for the nation. For most of these, uh, for most, for the most part, these leaders would rise up to his or her job and then return to their to their obscurity. This required that the people of Israel maintain a real, abiding trust in God. These national deliverers were not elected, and they did not come into leadership through royal succession. They were specially gifted by God for leadership in their times, and the people of God recognized and respected that gifting. When this book. The book of Judges uses the term judge. It doesn't mean someone who sits in a court and decides legal issues. The Hebrew word shafat means more the idea of a heroic leader. And that's from <coughs> David Guzik's commentary. So in our study through the book of Judges, we learned that most of them had issues, right? None of them were perfect. In fact, the majority of them were far from perfect. But God used them anyway to accomplish certain tasks and to deliver the nation of Israel out of the hands of their enemies. And through all these leaders that God has raised up from Abraham all the way through to this last judge, Samuel, God has been the one in charge. God has been the one ruling over and leading the nation of Israel through these different leaders. And again, they all messed up. None of them were perfect. Some of them were very far from it. But nonetheless, nonetheless when things were going right, those were the times that they were following the Lord's leading and guiding. And certainly the same goes for us, right? The times when we're following the Lord and his leading are the times that our life is on track. Uh, and the times when we're not following the Lord and his leading and his guiding, those are the times that we get off track, right? And then we're down in the ditch or we're smashed up against the guardrail or whatever, however you want to word it. God is always leading. 
He's always giving the right direction. And just like us, these leaders, these judges, they weren't always following that direction. And now as they enter into the time of, judge, of the kings, nothing's changed. Although the people are asking for a king like the other nations around them. Uh, and remember, S Samuel got very angry. But God says, hey, okay, you can have a full-time you know, physical leader. Uh, and it's going to cost you some physical resources to maintain this guy's physical livelihood, right? The physical king is always the one with the most wealth, and uh, it has to come from somewhere, taxes, right? And so God says, okay, you can have your physical king like the other nations. However, I'm still going to be the one that's leading the charge, that's in charge of my nation. And this king will be required to follow my lead and my direction. God says this physical king, it's going to be expensive, but I'm still going to be the one in charge. And uh, if you want your lives and the nation to stay on track, uh, as soon as your physical king stops following my lead and my direction, then the nation is going to end up in the ditch. It's going to get smashed up in the guardrail. So the people hey, say, hey, that sounds great. You know, where do we sign? You know, and so God allows them to have this physical king. But notice God's the one who chose the king. He, just as he's chosen every other leader in Israel in the past, often you'll hear that Saul is the king that the people chose and David was the king that God chose, but according to the scripture, God chose them both. The people of Israel chose to have a king, and God honored that choice, but as we see in the previous chapters, God led Saul to the prophet Samuel. Uh, God directed his prophet Samuel to anoint Saul as king. Then later in front of all the people, the nation, God directed Samuel to cast lots to determine the king, and it's believed that God is guiding these lots. And in front of the nation, God chose Saul again via the casting of lots this time, so twice. And that brings us to 1 Samuel chapter 11. Then Nahash, the Ammonite, went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead. And when all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, make a treaty with us and we will serve you. But Nahash, the Amorite, said to them, on this condition, I will make a treaty with you, that I gouge out all your right eyes, and thus bring disgrace on all Israel. The elders of Jabesh said to him, uh, Give us seven days respite, and that we may send messengers through all the territory of Israel. Then, if there is no one to save us, we will give ourselves up to you. When the messengers came to Jabesh of Saul, they reported to the matter to the ears of the people, and all the people wept aloud. Now behold, Saul was coming up from the field behind the oxen, and Saul said, what is wrong with the people that they are weeping? So they told him the news of the men of Jabesh. And the spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. He took a yoke of oxen and cut them into pieces and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hand of the messengers, saying, whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. Then the dread of the Lord fell upon the people, and they came out as one man. When he mustered them at Bezek, the people of Israel were three people of Israel were three hundred thousand, and the men of Judah thirty thousand. Verse nine, and they said to the messengers who had come, Thus you shall say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, Tomorrow by the time the sun is hot, you shall have salvation. When the messengers came and told the men of Jabesh, they were glad. Therefore the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we will give ourselves up to you, and you may do to us whatever seems good to you. And the next day, Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day, and those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. Verse 12, then the people said to Samuel, who is it that said, shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. But Saul said, not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal and there they made Saul the king before the Lord in Gilgal. There, sat, there they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. So back to verse 1. Then Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead. Nahash, he was an Ammonite, we're told there. A descendant of Ammon. <clears throat> Do you remember who Ammon was? Ammon was the half-brother slash cousin of Moab. Uh, Lot's sons slash grandsons. 
And I always use this as a warning to be careful what you pray for because you just might get it. Abraham's nephew Lot lived in the city of Sodom. Remember, and Abraham got word that God was going to destroy the city of Sodom and all its inhabitants. And if you remember, Abraham asked God to spare the city if there were 50 righteous people there. And God said he would. And then Abraham continued to haggle with God all the way down to 10 righteous people. If there's 10 there, and Abraham, Abraham was concerned about Lot and his family. And God knew that. Even though there were not 10 righteous people found, uh, God still destroyed the city. But he did send an angel to warn Lot and his family to get out before it was destroyed. And remember, only Lot and his wife and the two daughters went with him. Uh, the other kids he had didn't believe. And so Lot's wife, uh, then Lot's wife on the way out disobeys God. She looks back at the city kind of like in missing it or, you know, maybe we shouldn't have left. And uh, she was, God turned her into a pillar of salt, killed her. So they flee to the city of Zoar. Then they're not welcome there. So they end up living in a cave in the hills. And it sounds like it was in the deep in the Appalachian Mountains of West Virginia. The two daughters, they're convinced that they'll never find husbands. So they conspire to get Lot drunk and they take advantage of him, their dad. And two sons slash grandsons are born to Lot, Moab and Ammon. They become two nations that seem to be a continual thorn in the side of Israel, Abraham's descendants. So what if Abraham wasn't so insistent on God sparing Lot? What if Abraham, like Jesus, asked three times and then submitted to the Lord's will being done? You know, this past Sunday, Graham shared a testimony about praying repetitively. He was kind of feeling guilty about, not, about praying for the same thing all the time and asking people to pray for him for the same thing all the time. However, if you're part of the prayer line group, that app we have, you'll know Graham often asks for prayer uh, to get through difficult days at work. This is not a repetitive prayer. He's asking for a new prayer on a new day to get through new challenges of that particular day. This is very consistent with Jesus saying, pray in this way, give us this day our daily bread. The intent is, of Jesus is that we would pray every day asking for the Lord's uh, provision for us, not uh, as opposed to asking God, hey God, how about providing you know, the whole year of provision and then I'll talk to you again next year and, you know, renew my subscription or whatever. Uh, and so praying and asking God to get us through difficulties of each new day and provide for us that day and to give God praise and honor and glory each and every day, that is how Jesus taught us to pray. This is completely different than telling God, you know, you need a new car and repeating it a hundred times in a row. You know, I need a new car, I need a new car, I need a new car, I need a new car. Uh, or, you know... Will you spare Sodom if there's 50 righteous? How about 45? How about 40? What about 35? How about 30? How about 25? 20? How about 15? 10? You know, he's just going on and on and on. And God's like, okay, fine. But just so you know, you know, one day they're going to write a song about your nephew being his own grandpa or whatever. You ever heard that? So, so Nahash, the Ammonite, he goes up and besieges Jabesh Gilead. And here we are with another warning about being careful what you ask for because you just might get it. Do you know where Jabesh Gilead is located? It's on the east side of the Jordan River. Remember when God was leading the people into the promised land and the tribes of Reuben and Gad and half of the tribe of Manasseh? They asked if they could settle on that side of the river. And Moses pointed out, he said, you know, the promised land's on the other side of the river. But yeah, but we, you know, we really like this side of the river. You know, can we stay here? Please, 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 or whatever. And Moses talks to God about it, and he comes back, and he says, okay, but, you know, just so you know, this river here, it provides a natural barrier between us and all those inbred hillbillies over there in Ammon and Moab. You know, I'm just being silly, but they were a constant uh, problem for them. So why do you want to be on the same side of the river as them when you can be on this opposite side? You know, and, but there, he's like, but if you're cool hanging out with those guys on that side, and they're like, oh, yeah, we're totally cool with it. You know, we're woke and all that or whatever. So I can imagine God just shaking his head, you know, saying, you know, I do have a clue about some stuff, guys. I'm God. And, uh, but apparently you all know much better than me since you won't stop yelling in my face about it. So have at it, you know. If you insist on learning the hard way, 
then let's get busy learning is what God's saying. He'll, he'll teach you the hard way if you want to go that way. I don't know about you. I like learning the easy way, you know. And so I always desire God's will to be done in any given situation. You know, if I'm on my deathbed and God's ready to pull me out of this body of death, Jesus is standing there with his arms out reaching for me. If you all love me, you'll be praying God's will in that situation. Have you ever imagined the conversation, what the conversation was like between Mary, Martha, and Lazarus after the big event was over and everybody went home? Mary and Martha are probably like, oh, you're welcome, little brother. You know, we pleaded with Jesus to save you. And you were all dead, stinking up the place. And Lazarus like, uh, hello, my body of death, this mud sack was stinking up the place. I was in paradise with Moses and Abraham and that hillbilly nephew of his. You know, yeah, this is great. Thanks a lot, sisters. This is much better. Now, I look forward to dying all over again, another painful death before I can go back, you know. And uh, we just don't think that way sometimes. What, what, we need to be careful what you're asking for because you just might get it sometimes, you know. Think about it. There's another good example of that. Back to verse 1. Then Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead, and the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a treaty with us, and we will serve you. Then Nahash, the Ammonite, said to them, On this condition I will make a treaty with you, that I gouge out all your right eyes, and this being a disgrace on all Israel. The elders of Jabesh said to him, mm, you know, Give us seven days uh, respite, that we may send messengers through all the territory of Israel. Then, if there is no one to save us, we will give ourselves up to you. So Nahash is laying siege to the city. Remember that means they just blocked them out. They, nobody could come in and out. No food, no water, no nothing. It's a, it's, and uh, so the men of the city are like, you know, this is a horrible, we don't want to starve to death. Uh, we're, we're just going to make a treaty. Let's see if we can make a treaty, and we'll agree to serve Nahash if he'll spare us. So they want, they're going to offer them up to be sl- themselves to be slaves. And... Uh, so first off, when the enemy has you in a compromising position, first on your plan of action should not be making a deal with the enemy. In fact, you shouldn't, that shouldn't even be on the list at all. What should number one on the plan of action list be in any given situation? Prayer, right? Asking Almighty God, creator of the universe, for help. That's the first thing. That should always be the first thing on the list. But these guys, they say, no, nah, we're not going to bother God. We'll just see if we can make a deal with the enemy. And Nahash says, you know, well, okay, I'll, I'll let you, you know, I'll take that deal. You guys can be our servants only if I can gouge out everybody's right eye first. And, they're, and you know, and you're like, yeah, that sounds great if you're like the leathersmith. Right? I mean, could you imagine how many eye patches this guy could sell? Right? <laughs> Everybody needs one. And so... What is the deal with this, with Nahash? I mean, if these people are going to be your servants, why would you want them all damaged? Well, first off, he wants to disgrace Israel. Right. He wants to bring reproach on all of Israel because they were unable, him, unable to stop him from doing this to this one city. And secondly, it would impact their fighting skills. I mean, it, it removes your death perception. And so as far as them uh, trying to revolt or something, it would slow that down. And uh, it's interesting, you can see uh, in this account a similarity between Satan, our, our spiritual enemy, and Nahash, the enemy of Israel. Uh, Satan attacks us but can't do anything against us without our agreement. And he asks for and requires our surrender to him. Satan wants us to serve him and will attempt to impede us uh, or intimidate us in, into giving into him. Satan wants to humiliate us and exalt himself over us. Through uh, hum- humiliating one cent, Satan wants to bring reproach on all of God's people. Satan wants to take away our ability to effectively fight against him. Satan wants to blind us. And if he can't blind us completely, he'll blind us partially. The name Nahash means serpent or snake. So there's some similarities there. So the elders of the city, they respond to Nahash, you know, as, as awesome as that sounds, you know, having our eyes gouged out and serving you guys for the rest of our lives, you know, as great as that sounds, how about you give us seven days for us to round up some help to fight against you? And so you're th- I'm thinking, why would Nahash agree to allow Gilead to send messengers out to the rest of Israel and then wait seven days? So apparently 
he's pretty confident that they're not going to get any help from the rest of Israel. And, uh, and that was the state they were in. In the time of the judges, there was a lot of uh, separation, a lot of, uh, uh, they weren't together. They weren't unified as a nation. Uh, secondly, for Nahash, being front page news is just the kind of thing that, you know, an eye gouger like Nahash lives for, right? The whole point of him damaging these people is to strike fear and intimidation in everyone else. It's like how the mob works, right? They kill the one guy or cut the guy's, break his legs or whatever. The whole point is to send a message to everybody else. And so the more notoriety for that, the better in his mind. He's thinking, they're going to fear me. I'm, you know, I'm going to be in charge that way, terrorize them. So verse 4, when the messengers came to Gibeth of Gibeah of Saul, they reported to the, ma- the matter in the ears of the people, and the people wept aloud. Now behold, Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen, and Saul said, What is wrong with the people that they are weeping? So they told him the news of the men of Jabesh, and the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. Notice Saul was out working in the field. He's a working man, I suppose. He could have been fashioning himself a golden chair, you know, a throne to sit on, making all kinds of crowns and royal robes and all the pomp and circumstance that goes along with being the king. But he wasn't about that at this time. He's taking the approach more like the judges who would get called into action when the need arised, and then he's got work to do. So in the meantime, he's back to working the farm or whatever. He's not just going to sit around in a chair all day, you know, being entertained by some dude in a goofy hat dancing around, right? the court gesture and not yet anyway give him a few years though and we're going to see David uh, playing the harp for him so the people of Israel are weeping over this situation that their fellow Israelites are in in Gilead and I mean they're showing real concern for their fellow countrymen it's pretty uh, pretty amazing Saul is very concerned when he hears the weeping and the spirit of God comes upon him and notice That the Spirit of God did not come upon Saul to make him feel good or to make the hair on the back of his neck stand up or to make him dance and swing from the chandeliers or cartwheel down the aisles. The Spirit of God came upon him to equip him for action, just as he always does. You know, on the day of Pentecost, there were 120 believers and the Spirit of God came upon them. Remember, it's a rushing wind and like tongues of fire on their head. Well, immediately, Peter gets up, preaches to the crowd, and 3,000 people get saved. So if you divide 3,000 brand new believers by 120 disciples, guess what? You get 25 brand new believers for every disciple. If you or I were assigned to 25 brand new believers to disciple right now, would you need to be equipped by the Holy Spirit? Or are you good on your own? We would need it, right? That's why they were empowered. They weren't empowered to feel some wind and, and a, see a little flame on their heads. They were empowered for God to use them, to equip them to do his work. He continues in verse 7, He took a yoke of oxen and cut it, them into pieces and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hand of messengers, saying, and so now Saul's kind of sending a message to the rest of Israel. He's trying to round them up. He says, whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel. So whoever doesn't kind of join the army here, so this shall be done to his oxen. Uh, Then the dread of the Lord fell upon the people, and they came out as one man. They came out together, unified, this military. And when he mustered them at Bezek, the people of Israel were 300,000 and the men of Judah 30,000. 330,000 soldiers show up. So now this, it sounds a little harsh to me. You know, we, we could use some more volunteers in the children's ministry, but I don't think I'm going to send a dis, dismembered animal's body to anyone's house. Well, on second thought, what if I brought a bucket of chicken from KFC, right? That's a dismembered uh, chicken. Hopefully that wouldn't strike the fear of God in your hearts, but it is pretty greasy. Though. But uh, obviously he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and the God is directing this and leading this, and we see it. It's very effective. He sends this animal, and they come out, 330,000 men ready to fight. They show up. If you remember also, this is the town that didn't send anybody. Remember when they rounded up for the, uh, 
the woman was raped and he cut up all the people. His concubine was raped and killed and left for dead and he cut up the pieces and sent them out. And this is the one town that didn't send anybody to go against uh, Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, yeah. But that didn't stop the rest of Israel are coming out to defend them and, uh, and they're doing the right thing. Verse nine, and they said to the messengers who had come, Thus shall you say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, Tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you shall have salvation. When the messengers came and told the men of Jabesh, they were glad. Therefore the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we will give ourselves up to you, and you may do to us whatever seems good to you. And the next day Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day and those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together so there was hardly anybody left they wiped them almost almost wiped them all out so they get word that help is on the way right and I mean it might be midnight it may be midday he's never early he's never late you haven't heard that's Toby Mac's new song Uh, it's pretty good but uh he says, I've lived, long enough, I've, lived life long, I've lived enough life to say help's on the way. And it's so true. God's, God sends help. And so they pass on the word to Nahash, uh, but they don't fill in, him in on the details, right? They don't say, hey, Nahash, we got 330 troops, you know, 330,000 troops coming in. They just say, hey, uh, you know, the time's up. It's been seven days. We're going to give ourselves up tomorrow. And you know, you can do to us whatever seems good to you. And, uh, you know, so Nahash, he's probably thinking, you know, instead of coming up with a battle plan he's, and how to attack this the night before or whatever, he's trying to figure out what to do with all these eyeballs or whatever he's going to get, you know, and, uh, or how to organize that, all this gouging out of eyeballs. So they catch him by surprise. They whoop up on him, send him home with their tails between their legs anybody left and so just wipe them out completely uh, and so so it's done they conquered them there's no threat the siege is over and then in verse 12 the people said to Samuel who is it that said shall shall Saul reign over us bring the men that we may put them to death so remember in the last chapter in chapter 10 there were some guys when Samuel uh, after he cast lots there was a group that said He's not going to be our, basically he said he's not going to be our king, you know, we're not going to let Saul, you know, who's this guy just out there chasing donkeys and oxen or whatever. He's not a king. And uh, so now some of these people are like, hey, let's bring those guys. Now that Saul proved himself to be a a victor here, you know, and and, uh, God saved the people through Saul, uh, they want to kill these guys. But Saul said, not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. Uh, There they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. And so Saul, he's still in the, he's in a good place here. He's following the Lord. He followed the Lord's direction. The Holy Spirit came upon him uh, in a mighty way. He followed that leading of the Lord. God proved to be victorious through him. He's giving all the credit to God here, along with working with Samuel, God's prophet. You know, they're, they're in unison together. Uh, he doesn't want to go, you know, resist the uh, urge to go kill these guys that were against him in the last chapter uh, or take any kind of uh, harm against them and uh, and now they go uh, to kind of renew the the kingdom before the Lord in Gilgal and they sacrifice peace offerings before the Lord and so it's just a great time right here the Lord the Lord proves himself strong saves them again and they're thankful for it and they're showing that thankfulness by uh, uh, reaching out to the Lord and and uh, sacrificing to him does anybody have any questions or comments? I, I, would, I would just uh, listen to how Saul started off. And I would think, boy, it ain't how you start off, how you finish. But you know the spirit, man. Saul started off with dark man, man, righteous man, yeah. filled with the spirit. Then the way, if you didn't know no better, you would never think the way that he ended. Wow. And what a great 
lesson, kind of warning that is for all of us, you know, because you're right, it's how you finish, it's not how you start out. And we see that, uh, we see that all throughout the scripture of uh, the men of God, even King David committed adultery and murder, and but he repented of that, and that was the big difference with him. And Saul, we don't see him repent, really, that we know of, so... Um, but at this time, yeah, he's starting out great, and so this we can. That's a great example for us to follow here. Later, it's a great. It's more. He turns into. He's an ex, turns from an example to a warning. Don't <laughs> and don't go this route. Look at what happened, you know. And uh, and we'll get to see that as we continue on through First Samuel, uh, how he uh, God says you're done, and and he's ready to bring in a new king. Oh, go ahead, uh, Sam. The relationship between God and Samuel is some, something to marvel at. You know, I just feel like everybody should, you know, uh, don't think of don't think of yourself as un, incapable of talking to God. God is the same way God speaks to Samuel. He speaks to every one of you. So never feel left out. You know, it's just, sure. a, it's just a sample. God speaks to everyone the exact same way. No one is left out, and, and He blesses. Yeah, amen. Thank you. And, and he wants us to speak with him. He wants God. God wants us to talk to him. Ask him. Go ahead, Clint. Uh, when you said that uh, his name's Naash, yeah. is that how you pronounce it? Uh, I guess that's how I pronounce it. <laughs> I don't know if it's right or not. Well, you said it means snake. Yeah. The word used for Satan in Genesis, in Hebrew, I think, is Nakah. Oh, really? So mm. it's very similar. Really, very similar. Yeah. Very interesting, yeah. It's interesting to see Saul um, in 12 and 13. Like, I, all the times that David could have taken Saul's life and didn't and said, you know, this is a man of God. And I never really quite understood that because Saul didn't seem like much of a man right. of God by that time. Um, but I had forgotten his sort of earlier days. And where Saul shows mercy in chapter 13 yeah. reminds me a lot of the mercy that David is going to go on to show Saul later. Yeah, good point, good point. He does, because at that, at that time, you know, where I'm thinking, probably all thinking, why didn't he kill him? Because he had a couple opportunities where sure. he's right there next to him, and he could have just killed him without even a struggle. And, and the one time he was asleep, and... Uh, and David had mercy on him. Yeah. yeah, and Saul could have absolutely been like, yeah, totally, bring him on here, let's kill him. Yeah. Because yeah. that would have set a precedent, too, for him being king. Right. Don't mess with me. Or sure. Or, you know, don't question me. Or it certainly would have garnered compliance. Sure. And like a few years later, he probably would have done that in his mindset. Yeah. But, but here he's... Like our David said, uh, he, he was teaching the other week, uh, David recognized that Saul was an anointed one and so that could also be one of the reasons that right. have to respect that God has chosen this person. Right, right. Even if they are supposed to be there. Right. Okay. Even if they've gone off the rails, sure. Okay. I just have to add one more thing that uh, I see so many times people take this trip and say don't mess with God and more than one. They take houses of leaders or elder church leaders Thing. You don't set them down when they do wrong or when they go too far to the left and they do anything, you still just leave them alone. Right, no, that's so wrong. That's yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Because that, because that, uh, any, but we're all uh, anointed by God and called to different parts of the body, right? We're all different parts of the body and we're, we're tell, told to keep it, keep it, uh, call it, call one another to account, right? And we're told read, that in scripture. Read, you read one part of scripture there. False prophet, they were told to put them to death. Right, right, sure. But yeah, within the church, we should definitely follow that. That every anybody, if we notice something wrong, or even if there's a question, we can certainly ask that first. Hey, something wrong, or you just seem off, or whatever. Do you need to talk? And but if there's something happening that we know, you know, it says go to that person one on one, you know, and talk with them and if they repent and praise God and if they don't, just bring a couple of three and do it and then if they don't it's just bring them before the whole church and right. just exactly. so like, you are every Saturday night at the go go bar. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right. Say, oh don't worry about it, he's a man of God. Right. Well no, that's <laughs> yeah. 
And uh, a lot of times in that situation, you would hope the church attendance would reflect that, like someone sees that going on, and I can't imagine going back to that church. You know, if you see the leadership uh, that astray going. Uh, uh. Anything else? All right, well, let's pray, and then we got another song, right? Lord, we just thank you for being our God. We thank you for loving us so much and working in us and filling us with your spirit, Lord. And I just ask right now that you would uh, come upon us, Lord, that you would equip us to be uh, uh, and use us to further your kingdom, Lord. And you've called us all to be different parts of this body, this church body, Lord. Uh, but use us, equip us, and give us that power and the strength that we need to do whatever you're calling us to do as individuals, Lord, and as a church uh, to reach uh, the world for your kingdom, Lord, and specifically this neighborhood that you've planted us in, Lord, to, to reach them for your kingdom, Lord. And, and of course, all areas, Lord, all anywhere where we're employed or neighborhoods, the markets, wherever we are, Lord, just help us to reflect you to the world around us. And Lord, to do that properly, we need your spirit, your strength, uh, your guidance, everything, Lord. And so just fill us right now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand up. We'll sing about the blood of Jesus. washed us clean, Lord, that has made us innocent in your sight, that we can have peace with you, that we are not your enemy any longer, that we no longer are fighting against who you are and what you want for us, but through the blood of Jesus, we are washed clean and we can rest in you now. We thank you, Lord, and we ask that you would just bless us as we go back out into our week, Lord, and, and just as Pastor was saying that whatever mission field we're going to, 
in the coming days, Lord, that we would be showing nothing but the blood of Jesus on our lives. We thank you, Lord, for your precious gift, and we love you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. All right, you're dismissed.